0: Hey guys, as coders and billers, we get it. Healthcare compliance can be a hassle, inconvenient, and a headache that never goes away. That's why they developed EpiCompliance, an easy to use software that helps you stay up to date and on track with ever changing requirements of healthcare compliance. This cloud based software covers HIPAA. Privacy and Security, OSHA, and the ACA, OIG, Medicare Waste, Fraud, and Abuse compliance requirements. It includes forms, policies, tasks, and mandated compliance training all in one easy to use interface. Do you need to send and organize your business associate agreements to your clients? You can do that with EpiCompliance through their business associate center. And most importantly, in our profession, EpiCompliance covers you with billing and coding for waste, fraud, and abuse compliance. Don't risk getting on the CMS, HHS, OIG list of excluded individuals and entities, which is a permanent record on the internet. Ready to stay up to date and compliant every month with EpiCompliance? You have to do it. Did I mention it's required by law? You might as well do it right with EpiCompliance. Right now, Life as a Coder podcast listeners can save 20% on their subscription by visiting epicompliance.com forward slash Ozark and using the discount code Ozark20. That's epicompliance.com forward slash O-Z-A-R-K and use the discount code Ozark20. That's O-Z-A-R-K-2-0. Welcome to the Life as a Coder podcast series brought to you by your friends at Ozark Coding Alliance. Discussing your life as a medical coder, offering coding tips and advice for coding students and professionals. Join us every Wednesday. Hello and welcome to the Life as a Coder podcast. My name is Jennifer McNamara and I am your host today. Our program is brought to you from your friends at Ozark Coding Alliance, and our goal is to bring you timely industry topics in the field of health information management as well as tips for work life balance. If you're a first time listener, we thank you for listening today, and if you like what you hear, please hit the subscribe button or follow us wherever you get your podcasts. Remember, you can earn CEUs for becoming a member at our Patreon squad. So go to patreon.com slash life as a coder and check out our different uh, levels of membership so you can earn CEUs at a low cost and stay active as a coder. Our disclaimer, is always, is that our podcast is not to be taken as legal or professional advice. Our podcasts are based on our years of experience in the coding and billing industry, and our goal is to share with you what we've learned and why we love this industry. And as a reminder, we do talk about uh, CPT AMA codes, so CPT is copyrighted by the American Medical Association, and we are licensed uh, to offer curriculum uh, for their code set. So today, I wanted to talk about one of my favorite topics when it comes to coding, and it's something I get asked a lot. Yes, we are going to talk about spine coding, and I am a lover of orthopedic spine. I've been an orthocoder for a long time. I've also had experience coding for the spine, and of course, I love all the ins and outs uh, when I think about the coding aspects and then the anatomy. I love looking into the billing and the denials. I know I'm weird. Why would she like denials? I love working denials. I like fixing things. So if you have that kind of brain where you like to look at a problem and figure out what's wrong with it and fix it, that is my my, my love, right? But of course, it's always beneficial to figure out what to do first and to not create those denials, right? So we're going to talk about that. What can we do ahead of time? And learn before we have to build these things so we don't create denials unnecessarily. There are going to be times where we have to, of course, look at the documentation and we we know we did it right, but the payer disagrees. So we have to kind of go back and forth and look, okay, do I have enough information in my documentation to support the use of these codes together? Um, do I have enough for this modifier and and so forth? So those are things that you you can you can think about. But let's talk about uh, several things today. Actually, I want to talk about anatomy first because when it comes to the spine, anatomy is so crucial. You guys, you have to know where you are. Um, you have to know your diagnosis, and uh, diagnosis really drives the bus. A lot of these, because if you notice whether you're billing in the surgery section um, for uh, orthopedics for the musculoskeletal, or you're getting into the nerves. And you're looking at laminectomies a lot of times the diagnosis really really it makes the difference so basic 101 the levels of your spine you got to know them cervical is the top seven of those one through seven thoracic one through 12 and then lumbar five and then sacrum of course We've got, of course, those there. We typically look at sacrum one and two, typically don't get any lower than that. Um, But there, of course, we have the sacrum and then the coccyx at the very bottom. And you can see images of that. Um, You know, I'll, of course, upload an image um, in the show notes because I feel like it's really important that we know where to go when it comes to these levels uh, and, and actually visualizing them. So you have your spinal column, right? And then in between that, um, you have nerves, you have the lamina, um, you have those invertebral discs, and you have all of that stuff there to kind of cushion and support that spine. So when the body is sitting or doing something of activity level, um, you're not going to, of course, hopefully have an injury if you're, of course, lifting appropriately and you're bending and not too far, but you have that cushion, right, to support um, different things that you do. So ask yourself, okay, what is the reason for the surgery? Why am I doing this? That's what you all should ask ourselves. We have to look at LCD policies, local coverage determination policies. We need to know how the physician approached the patient. Uh, when you look at some of the di- documentation um, and the code descriptions, a lot of them are based on approach. Um, actually, all of them are <laughs> when it comes to arthrodesis. And yes, today we're focusing on arthrodesis procedures and how they affect when we have to build the laminectomies together. That's one of the main problems a lot of coders have is understanding the arthrodesis, the laminectomy, and then also understanding the the uh, segment versus an inverte- invertebral space um, the uh, space between, right? So we need to know that information. Okay, then where is it? Cervical lumbar thoracic. And what is happening during that procedure? Those are things we have to ask ourselves, right? So think about those things when we're going through um, the process. Now there are different elements of the procedure We have the arthrodesis itself, the fusion procedure. We have instrumentation that's used. Sometimes they may use that um, invertebral cage, right? Um, That procedure to, and then sometimes that that cage device, um, it actually has instrumentation attached to it. And then sometimes we, of course, will, the physician will put instrumentation that's not attached. You have grafting. And then again, as I mentioned, you may have that laminectomy procedure that may be done for decompression, or maybe it's not done for decompression. What is the intent of that procedure? Those are all things we have to ask ourselves. So what is the difference between a vertebral segment and a vertebral interspace, that space between, right? Well, it's just basically think about this segment, right? The vertebra itself. So you have a single bone, vertebral bone, that you see on, on the spine. But then you have those non bony parts, right? That are near those vertebral bodies that have the intervertebral disc. They have um, the, the cartilage, right? You have all of those other pieces that help uh, within that spinal column uh, to add that support, right? So that's what we're looking at. We're looking at the difference between the inner space and a segment because some code descriptions do list them separately. So you may have one code that says per vertebral segment or per inner space. So those are things to keep in mind when you're looking at those things. And I am going to give you some examples today, but I want you to always, always, always look at your anatomy. Um, Think about, visualize that anatomy um, as you're learning because it's really helpful. Do you know the difference between anterior and posterior? Lateral. These are all terms you need to know when you're looking at the approaches specifically. They may, of course, decide they're going to go at at the patient from the front. And so they're going to do an anterior incision from the front. Or they may decide, I'm going to go through the back. I'm going to do a posterior incision. So you're gonna to wanna to look for the codes that are applied to that specific situation within this, the vertebral segment that you need. Is it lumbar, sacral? Is it um, going to be thoracic? Is it gonna be cervical? Uh, those are instances. And so what is your approach? That is key. And once you know the different approaches and how they um, are, of course, done, then you can start to figure out which code you're going to go with, All right. So. We're going to talk about fusions today. Um, Arthrodesis is, of course, another word for that. Um, Arthro meaning joint. Desis is, of course, the fusion procedure. Um, So fusions happen at at several parts of the body. But for the spine, um, we're talking about the arthrodesis um, right there in that area. Um, So you'll see definitions um, or, excuse me, diagnoses um, that are appropriate in your LCD policies. And I can't stress enough how important it is to review those and then Educate your physicians for these procedures. We need to, these are the code sets, this is what it's approved for, what they consider medically necessary. And I understand um, as a surgeon, it can be very stressful because you are the professional, you are the one deciding whether or not something's medically necessary. And so sometimes when the insurance companies come in and say, no, this is what we consider medically necessary. Um, Based on the information we have or the research we've done, um, we, we disagree in this instance. Or maybe it is there, but it's not getting written down. And so that's another thing, you know, uh, we want to make sure that we educate our physicians, you know, I know you're doing this, because you did it last time, you documented this last time, the situation isn't they're they're re- done for the same reason. So is there a reason why you didn't document this time, this instance, or was this actually done? Can you look at your documentation, you as a coder, I mean, you see the same things over and over again, you know, for the most part, what they're doing. So to ask them, in this instance, was this supposed to be documented? Or did did this not happen um, in this instance? So you can you can learn how your physician documents and maybe um, offer suggestions or say, in this instance, I can't give you credit for this because I didn't see this documented, you know, per the um, information and per the insurance, this is what needs to be documented to support this code. And so it's not that, you know, it wasn't done. You're not saying that, but you're just saying, I can't give you credit for this code because this isn't here. So then they can say, oh, I did that. Well, then say, okay, can you do an addendum? Hopefully this all happens before it's built out, right? and within a certain amount of time per your facility's requirements as far as documentation is concerned. But try to, of course, look for those things ahead of time and make sure that you have an education in place to allow for the proper time frame to get that completed. Now, um, they do, of course, um, have to, you have to know where the decision is made. You need to know what else is included in the code. Um, is uh, it for just prepping the site for the arthrodesis, or are they trying to perform a decompression procedure? Those are all things that are important. Now, there are times where they actually insert uh, instrumentation. Of course, during this procedure, they have to apply those screws, plates, and such. And so, you're going to want to re- reference those code uh, those codes in CPT for the uh, instrumentation. They're usually numbered, right? So you need to know how many segments they touched? So was it segmental or non-segmental? Did they touch each vertebra or um, was or was it non-segmental where it didn't touch each segment? It went from one to the bottom or one to the, to the last one. Was um, their separate segments touched or were they just from one to the to the, the last one, right? So think about those things. try to visualize that. And you need to know, of course, was it anterior or posterior instrumentation? They have separate codes for that. One of the things that I like to educate on is those other types of instrumentation that can have those screws or plates attached to them. So we have the codes 22853 to 22859, and these are for those interbody fusion devices, so sometimes called a cage. It's an implant, right? So it's not gonna be coded by approach, right? That's not the indication. They are going to be coded based on why they're being used, right? So are you doing an interbody technique? Is there a corpectomy? Um, Or is there no interbody technique being done? Think about those things. So the definition of the 22853, for instance, is the insertion of the interbody biomechanical device. And in parentheses, it gives you examples like a synthetic cage or mesh. There's different types of uh, interbody devices, but typically you see the cage. It says with integral interior instrumentation for device anchoring. So they might use screws or whatever and that are already attached um, when they actually insert that device at the time of a fusion or an arthrodesis. It's an interbody arthrodesis. So let's go back and look at the fusion codes themselves so we can see how we interpret this. So 22630 is an arthrodesis. It's a posterior approach, but it says posterior interbody technique. So there's gonna be an interbody device, of course, inserted. It does say it includes a laminectomy and or discectomy. So that's gonna be included if it's done to prepare the inner space because oftentimes they do have to do some laminectomy work Dyslectomy work to prepare that space for those devices for that procedure. And it says single inner space. So we're looking at the space in between. So we don't count L4, 5, and we don't count um, all the individual spaces. We count this um, or the segments. We count the spaces. So L1 to 2 is one code, L2 to 3 is another code. We wouldn't count 1, 2, 3. So it wouldn't be three units. It would just be. Of course, the main code and then additional code for the additional inner space. So when the code indicates that there's an inner space involved, we count the level in between the level, not the segment. So think about and visualize that. It's always helpful to have a diagram in front of you and count segments and then put your finger in between and be like, okay, from here to here is one code. From here to here is another code. And that's how I label it out. My um, auditor that helped me when I was learning this, she had me make a spreadsheet. And she made it really easy. Uh, for this instance, I'm counting this and this. For this instance, I'm counting this and this because of the code says inner space versus uh, vertebral segment. So keep that in mind. In your CPT code book, there's so much information, so many parenthetical notes that if you don't read them carefully, you could get lost. So it's very clear. It tells you um, to report instrumentation. It tells you which code range to go to for that because, you know, this is a posterior approach. So you're going to have the posterior instrumentation used. Um, It even tells you not to append the 62 modifier because you're not going to get co-surgery for this portion typically I will say it's usually the co-surgeon that helps with the approach and the other surgeon does the rest of the work and that's usually how that co-surgery is applied uh, for these spinal procedures sometimes one just approaches it whether it's the anterior approach and then maybe the, the rest of the procedure the cage and all the other arthrodesis work the grafting and the instrumentation is done by the other surgeon so there is uh Reasons why they don't have you put the 62 on certain things um, because it only goes with the main part of the procedure. They expect, yes, the instrumentation is going in, um, but it's an add on code. It's not going to be something you're going to get the 62 modifier for. So just keep that in mind. Typically, you're going to see it on the approach. Um, One surgeon's going to, they're both going to build the arthrodesis code with a 62 modifier. It's not going to be needed on the additional add on codes. Just to keep that in mind. Um, and so then we go and we move on to we talk about the grafting and I'm going to come back to some examples I promise so that's just an example the the 22630 that has an inner body technique so that's when you would apply that 22853 code for instance now if there was grafting done there are two different types of bone grafts that we think about and in grafting in general we either have autograft or allograft right So autograft is, of course, those bone fragments that they take from you. So they may take from you, maybe a disc or maybe some other part of of the spine. Or allograft is donor or synthetic. So it's not made from you, but a donor or a synthetic um, material. And if you look at the code options, we have several types of code options for spine grafting. So it'll say for spine surgery only. So watch for those. We have the 20930. It's allograft morselized. The 3-1 is allograph structural. Um, And then we have to look at the next set, which we go and flip over to 3-6 autographs for spine. And this, of course, says local. And it kind of gives you those areas of the body where it could come from, right? It's local to the spine. So ribs, spinous process, laminar fragments, and so forth. And then morselized, which, of course, it does say through a separate skin incision, because think about there, it's actually coming off of you. So they're going to give you specific instructions. Okay, if it's an autograft and it's local, it's going to come from these areas. Or if it's through a separate incision and it's morselized, right, they're going to take it from somewhere else. And then structural, it says bicortical or tricortical through separate skin or fascial incision. So it's helpful when you're looking at these definitions to understand uh, what that means. What is structural versus morselized versus local? So you're, these morselized are like these small pieces of graft. Structural is going to be larger pieces. And they have to be large. They have to fill those defects um, if they're going to do it that that way. So it really depends on the necess- necessity of that uh, procedure, what kind of grafting they're going to need to do. So keep that in mind. You're going to have to understand um, that piece. Now, those are the elements of a spine surgery for arthrodesis. You have the arthrodesis code, and you have the instrumentation. Occasionally, the cage, and then you have, of course, the grafting as well. If you are doing interbody device option, the two two six three zero and three for instance, for the lumbar. You have to insert the interbody device, the 22853 and 54, for instance. So you have to know that it is inappropriate to report your instrumentation codes at the same time as the cage codes, because in the description right, I mentioned earlier, it is part of the description that it is any attached screws or, or devices like that instrumentation. So if it is the type you're using where you're putting instrumentation that's not attached to the cage, that's the only time it can be used. If you were to look at some of the bundles, you would see those bundled. And keep in mind, I am talking about your anterior instrumentation because if you look carefully at the description of the 22853, those codes in that area, it mentions with integral anterior instrumentation. So that code includes and the type that has anterior instrumentation as part of the device, but you also have your posterior instrumentation, which is not bundled because it's posterior. And so it's not going to be attached, right? So think of that and what it means and what is included and what's not. So you know what you're coding and what can be reported and what cannot. I'm going to circle back around to our 22630 and 33s because I know it's something that can confuse a lot of people. And I have a lot of questions that come at me. What is the difference between 22630 and 33? Well, it's really having to do with what was done again. So the 22630 is that inner body fusion, that posterior inner body fusion. But then if they combine that with a posterior lateral fusion as well, it becomes a 22633. So it's a combined approach. Now they still use that inner body device but you have to know what are they doing at each level? Because if they're not inserting that cage at multiple levels, uh, you may have a fusion with the cage at 22633 at one level, but then later you have another level, they're just doing a regular fusion and they're not actually putting in that interbody device. So then you have to rev- go back to your add-on codes, right? There is an add-on code, right? The 22614. So I encourage you, if you have your CPT code book open, If you refer back to the 22614, that's the add-on code for a posterior or lateral technique for each additional vertebral segment. So after you've done your inner space code, right, because the 22630 or 33, those are for inner spaces. So you did L1 to L2, but then at the next level, L3, for instance, you didn't do that technique. You just did a regular posterior post lateral fusion. So you have to count that segment individually because that's where you performed a fusion um, without a cage, out that intervertebral device. So two two six one four, and then you're going to count that for each additional vertebral segment you do that on. Um, so keep that in mind, um, and remember that you can bill um, for different sites. Now we're talking about lumbar here, but if you were going to a separate um, part of the spine. Obviously, you can't build a 3-0 uh, and a 3-3 together at the same level. But if you're doing another incision, another technique at a different uh, level, um, make sure that you get those those uh, main codes again. And if they're bundled, you know, you can use that 59 because they're separate incisions. You made a separate incision at a separate site. It's uh, not attached, Right to the site you were looking at. So it's non contiguous So I want you to be aware of the definition of the 59 and when to use that appropriately. It's considered a separate level, it is considered a separate site, um, according to um, that definition. So be aware of that information. We've now come to the fun part, guys. I promise I would talk about the laminectomies at the same time as a fusion. It can be confusing because Medicare has not budged on their decision. Um, that you can you can't build the six three zero four seven uh, for the laminectomy at the same level as a fusion, which is true. Um, they're not going to budge on that. Uh, there has been some information, right? CPT assistant put that out there. Um, the CPT assistant May twenty eighteen um, did say, and then in um, you know they made that correction uh, from the October twenty sixteen CPT assistant um that talked about reporting it for the same vertebral inner space. So yes, you can according to CPT, because if you're reporting it at the same inner space, and there is additional work documented, right, you're doing that decompression, and it's beyond the work that you would do for a fusion, right? You have that document, it's over and above. It's not just for preparing the inner space, it's for completing a decompression. That's more work. You by CBT, AMA definition, you can report that with a 59. Uh, but Medicare is not going to budge. They're not going to let you get it at the same interspace. Uh, so definitely be aware of that and read the coding policy um, from CMS. It's very helpful to understanding that. Not to say other commercial payers aren't going to follow Medicare. You always got to check on that. There are always going to be differences in how the AAOS and CMS and CPT how they um, interpret these guidelines. So always keep up to date um, regularly on this issue with your payers because you don't wanna, uh, obviously bill incorrectly um, without referencing those guidelines. Um, But sometimes there's just a lot happening and um, unfortunately there are a lot of facilities that still don't have um, coders and so the billers are just billing um, what the providers tell them that they wanna bill and then they're getting denials. And so it is always helpful, even if you're not a certified coder, um, if your clinic can at least um, provide education or have someone come in to provide education um, so you understand um, when you can do this and, and that. And provider education is key, too, if you're not going to hire a certified coder or if your um, your coders and billers aren't certified At least get them education um, so they can be up to date uh, and have references that they can go to, authoritative references so that they know um, how to interpret these guidelines um, so we can avoid these denials. And um, you don't want to trigger an audit by using the 59 modifier inappropriately and uh, in the wrong instances. I highly recommend always, if you're in the spine, um, having uh, that downloaded, the chapter four. Guidelines uh, for uh, the NCCI manual and then the chapter that has to do with neurology for the nerves. It's really helpful to understand both items there uh, and understand where to go for authoritative guidance. Now, something to keep in mind when we're coding for the 63047 and the 63048 is making sure that we understand. what needs to be documented to support that because these, of course, these codes are based on segments. So we want to look at that. But we think about the fact they have to document the, the laminectomy, monotomy, and the facetectomy, right? Because that's all included, right? You're going to see documentation of them accessing uh, that area to remove the lamina of the spinous process. They have to get in there in order to do that decompression. So in order to decompress that, they have to get in there. Uh, They have to decompress the central canal. Uh, They have to get in there and free up that area. Uh, They may talk about the facet joint, um, you know, the facetectomy. They're going to, of course, need to get in there to decompress that. Um, They, of course, are going to talk about doing a foremonotomy. So all of those things are helpful. And they might be already doing that right because it's necessary to perform that for a full decompression. But maybe they're not giving us all those those things. They just assume that, hey, it's this is what I'm doing. And this is, of course, assumed. We don't assume in documentation, we have to have that. So it's really helpful. We don't want to, of course, get denials. And when we try to appeal something, if we don't have that documentation. An auditor is not going to be able to see that we did all those things, or our physician did all those things. So Work on it with them, help them to see, I got, I need you to talk about the, uh, the lamina. I need you to talk about the foremonotomy and the facet joints. I need you to talk about all those things and about freeing up the nerve. Was a full decompression done in order to get this coat at that level? And then if they do that again at the next level with a full decompression was done, all of those things were done, then it's 63047 and 63048 at every single level they completed that at. If they don't complete it at that next level, then think about other code options where they maybe did part of that, but it's not a full laminectomy, uh, facetectomy, and foramenotomy done. Uh, there are other codes that we can use in that section that describe maybe a lesser portion of that done at a different level. So pay attention to those items as well. So, in review, uh, think about your approach, think about your diagnosis. Uh, this particular one we just talked about, it says, examples spinal or lateral stenosis. Other codes have to do with, of course, um, whether or not there was a, a a disc issue. So be aware of what we can use these on. Look at your LCD policies. Um, know what is being done. I'm doing a fusion. So there's going to be instrumentation. There's going to be grafting. What kind of grafting am I doing? Is it autograft, allograft? Am I putting in an intervertebral device? If I am... Of course, is the instrumentation anterior? Is it attached to the cage? Am I doing posterior instrumentation for a posterior interbody technique? Uh, Am I doing the combined approach technique, or am I just doing the posterior one? Do I have any add-on codes to add that were done with different techniques? So many things to ask yourself. So it's really important to get organized. Um, I have um, thoughts of putting together some really... um, great educational materials and to keep you organized. So I am working on that. Um, I really want to try to find a way to simplify this process. There's so much out there that can be helpful. um, But when we're not organized, and we don't have all these pieces together, um, it can be difficult. So that's my goal um, is to put together some of these, these uh, guides and, and helpful references to help you visualize these things. Um, But of course, that's something that I'm I'm thinking of, and our team was working on. Um, So hopefully, in the coming months, and into 2022, you'll see a lot of that uh, being brought out and available for purchase. And of course, uh, please watch out for our updates we talked about recently, right, our upcoming orthopedic conference in 2022, where we're going to talk about all things orthopedics, we're going to have some great presenters, CEUs are going to be offered. Live giveaways, as always, and we are on the hunt for sponsors. If you want to sponsor our event, if your facility or your physicians want to sponsor, please let us know. We're, we're super excited to present again this next year for orthopedic uh, information and offer any updates. Uh, we're going to have an evaluation and management section specifically on um, examples of interpreting the MDM, the risk, all of the, the problems and the data, all of that for orthopedics. We're going to have pain management, we're going to have all the ins and outs, the hands, the feet, the shoulders, the hips, the the knees, um, the uh, arthroscopy, the open procedures, as much as we can offer you uh, to help you understand orthopedics. So I hope you can join us for that. Uh, I do want to uh, give you a little bit about PCS, because I know some of you out there listening are facility coders, maybe you're studying for your certified coding specialist exam with Hema. And that's maybe an area that you were just struggling with understanding. So let's talk about coding for the spine uh, for the inpatient procedures. As we know, with PCS, we have different, of course, characters. The most important character, as we know, is the root operation, right? That's that third character, so important. And so when it comes to the fusion procedures, there is a root operation for fusion, right? That's what we expect it to be. So You got to know, of course, your first part, right? Medical and surgical is, of course, the zero. And we have to have our body system. You know, we have to know where they're at, right? Um, Are is it going to be on the joints, um, not the bones or the vertebra? So you have to know that. Remember, in orthopedics, you have the upper joints and lower joint body systems. So you need to understand that. And the body part value for specific joints that are being fused is of course found in those tables in PCS that we know. Um, When you look at that table, you're gonna see the number for maybe the lumbar vertebral joint, or you're going to see um, other items there as well. You're gonna have your qualifiers. Remember, you have to have the qualifiers um, in there, especially for your approaches. Um, So for the qualifier values, um, there's going to be values uh, for an anterior approach, a posterior approach, and so forth. Now, I know when we think about approaches in CPT, we think anterior, posterior. And so when we look at the character five for the approach, we might think it should be there, right? But when we look at our tables, it gives us open percutaneous and percutaneous endoscopic because remember, the approaches in PCS don't change. You always have the same ones there. We have those. It, it's for consistency, Right. But the qualifiers will change for these spine procedures. So that's where we find the specific approach that they used to access the spine. And so that's where you're going to see those qualifiers, your seventh character. Um, And then remember, we're not going to have necessarily a bunch of procedures to report like we do in CPT. So that's why the device character, what does the device do? It tells you what you're leaving in the body. What are we leaving in? Grafting material. So we have autologous tissue. Synthetic substitute or non-autologous tissue, which will be, of course, um, your um, allograft, right? Non-autologous or autologous. Now, maybe we're leaving in an internal fixation device. Maybe it's a different type of fusion we're doing. So are we doing spine fusion or what type of fusion are we doing? And you'll see in some of those, it mentions uh, the cervical, uh, thoracic, thoracolumbar, and then the lumbar. So it gets even uh, further down there, right? So um, it separates them out because it wants to know how many joints are you doing this on? Um, Is it two to seven, eight or more uh, when it comes to the thoracic because we have 12, right? So they want to know how many we're doing. So that comes into play. So always make sure we're aware of that. And I'll back up a little bit when I was talking about those, uh, the body system, I wanted to remind you when it comes to the upper joints, you're going to see upper joints and then you're going to see lower joints. So if you're looking for the lumbar, you're going to be looking in the lower joints. It's considered um, because of where it sits on the body. It's of course past that point where it's considered an an upper part of the body. So that's why you're going to see maybe your, um, S as your character for the uh, character two uh, versus the R for upper, right? So be aware of the differences between where you are in the body when you're coding for these procedures. It's also important, you never want to forget, just like we have an ICD-10-CM in PCS, we have official guidelines. So in the guidelines, we do have some reminders when it comes to coding for certain approaches and it does give us some examples specific to uh, the vertebral fusions. So just like in our CM, we have coding conventions there are those and then when you get into um, the medical and surgical guidelines it's the letter b or the, the character b letter b um, that will be the first thing you'll see so b2 b3 and so forth. When you get to b3 that's your root operation guidelines so when you're going through that you're going to see b3 1a 1b and so forth so you're going to find the guideline that refers to that type of procedure and they do have a specific guideline is b3.10a and it says fusion procedures of the spine so they want you to remember certain things as you're coding these so i encourage you if you're coding for spine uh, and you need to, of course, refresh your memory on these. Please read those specific guidelines. Um, that's B, 310 A, B, and C. Uh, and that will give you some examples. So they do tell us, of course, um, the body part coded for a spinal procedure of the vertebral joint that's rendered immobile by a spinal fusion procedure is classified by the level of the spine, right? There are distinct body part values for a single vertebral joint and for multiple vertebral joints. So the example is the body part value that specifies lumbar vertebral joint, lumbar vertebral joint two or more, and lumbosacral vertebral joint. So we need to know, they want to know how many, because remember, we don't have, um, you know, separate codes that we're using add-on codes like we do in CPT. So we have to tell them everything that we can in one code. So that's why we're trying to fill the gaps, put the data in, plug it in where it goes. If multiple vertebral joints are fused, a separate procedure is coded for each vertebral joint that are used a different device and or qualifier. So if we have to go out of that, right, we have done all we could to get in that one code what was done. Um, we're going to tell them we did this many. Um but sometimes there are some, of course, uh, that we have to do separate codes for. So like I said, the example of the thoracic, it does give you separate values for a two or more, um, or, you know, more than eight or whatever. So you have to, of course, know the difference there. But when is multiple vertebral joints are fused, you can report a separate report or code. So fusion of a lumbar vertebral joint, posterior approach, anterior column and fusion of the lumbar vertebral joint posterior approach, posterior column would be coded separately because you have different values in the table for those. So you do need to code them separately in order to fully uh, account for all the the things that you have. And then if there's a combination of devices and materials that are often used, so it says if an interbody fusion device is used to render that immobile, um, the procedure is coded with the device value interbody fusion. If a bone graft is the only device used, um, then you're going to code that as non-autologous, right? Or autologous. But if a mixture of autologous and non-autologous bone graft is used to render that immobile, code the procedure with the device value as autologous. So remember, in ICD-10-CM, we had defaults. We've got a default here as well. Gives you an example of a fusion. Of a vertebral joint that uses a cage-style interbody fusion, device containing morselized bone graft, that would be coded to the device interbody fusion. They're going to, of course, they want, that's the device they want you to report, even though you're also uh, putting in that morselized bone graft because we just have the one qualifier option or device option. So that's what they want you to use. If you do a fusion of a vertebral joint using a bone dowel, interbody fusion device made of a cadaver bone and then maybe they pack it right with a mixture of local um and demineralized bone matrix that's also coded to interbody fusion device so we see the pattern here right but if it is using like i mentioned again we have the the autologous and then we have an example of the bone bank bone graft they want you to code that to autologous even though they use some of that um some of the stuff from the um, non-auto, right? So it's um, non-autologous. We still want to report it as autologous. That's how it defaults. So look at your defaults. They're there in your guidelines. Always remember that. If you're coding to a certain root operation, just quickly glance at the guidelines to see if there is something specific that they mention in the guidelines that you need to know before you start coding for that root operation. Just some quick reminders on that. So yes, we have things to keep in mind when it comes to certain areas of coding and spine can be tricky, but organization, like I said, is key with CPT or with PCS. So keep those things in mind and reach out to me if you have any questions. I love, love, love educating. I love trying to make things simple and understandable. And there's a lot of legal terms and a lot of things to complicate our life these days. But if we can find a way to uncomplicate that and make it simpler to understand so that we can explain it to somebody else um, and, you know, make it make it easily understandable, then we can make sure that we're all on the same page. Right. So um, this has been Jennifer McNamara again with the Life is a Coder podcast. As always, my goal is to educate and inspire. Knowledge is power as we've seen today. So never give up on coding, keep learning and keep growing. The knowledge you gain today makes you powerful tomorrow. I want to thank our sponsors, Ozark Coding Alliance, and our amazing podcast producer, Gabriel Fast with Highland Productions. Until next time. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the Life as a Coder podcast series, brought to you by your friends at Ozark Coding Alliance, LLC. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and review wherever you listen to your podcasts. We really appreciate that effort. It helps us share the show with other coders, students, and professionals just like you. Come back every Monday for a new episode. We'll catch you then. Project Resume can make your medical coding dreams come true. From resumes to interview skills to navigating a successful career, Project Resume has the advice you need from coders you can trust. See all that we have to offer at projectresume.net. Be sure to reference this podcast when you place your order.